Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I'm talking with the chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District of New Mexico, Steve Pearson. Steve, in a pandemic, it's tough, but we're starting to see signs of light at the end of the tunnel. Jobs report just came out. Tell us about it. It was a killer jobs report. 1.4 million jobs were added in the last period. Our unemployment nationwide fell to 8.4%. That's the lowest that it has been since the pandemic started. It's just the indicator that people are getting back to normal. It's almost as if they don't care what their governor is saying. They don't care what anybody else is saying. People have stood it as long as they can, and uh, they're getting out, going back to work, and starting to uh, make the economy go again. That's the worst news the Democrats can get, because they wanted bad news all the way through the election. This president is going to be reelected, and New Mexico is going to vote for him. The jobs situation is one of the key reasons for that, but overall, just his performance throughout the entire four years that he's been in office. I tell you, I was reading this post this last week that talked about the week that Joe Biden had last week compared to the week that the president had. And it points out that Biden started the week by defending the left wing rioters and looters and calling them peaceful protesters. Standing and recommending that you should be deployed to, quote, dominate your fellow citizens for exercising their rights to peacefully protest and threatening if governors didn't do something, the president would. And from then on, the week just sort of went south for Biden. On Monday, he malfunctioned in front of the the reporters and their questions and actually fled out of the room, just left without taking any more questions. He was asked a question that he probably wishes that had gone away, and uh, he never had to answer for that. That was the question, where is Hunter? You know that Hunter was putting down that $600,000 a year in the Ukraine for doing work that he had no background to do, but he also pulled $1.5 billion out of China and he still has a stake in that Chinese company. That company has been sanctioned for human rights abuses. If this was anybody but Biden's family, it would just burn up in the press, but they never even mention it. So Tuesday was back to the basement for Biden. He tried to read the top line message as a part of the talking points that his handlers gave him for a TV interview. That sort of went okay. Wednesday, Biden ventured outside again. He had his staff screen the reporters. They asked him questions that were planted, and he couldn't remember the FDA acronym. And, and, and the FDA, you know, the, the Federal Drug Administration. Then... He just continued to sort of spin downhill the rest of the week. On Thursday, he went into Kenosha. He was going to bring the healing to that community. He got up and started telling those tasteless jokes about getting shot if he kept talking about the tax policy that he wanted to implement. 19 corporations making a billion dollars apiece don't pay a single penny in taxes. I'm not going to punish anybody, but everybody should pay a fair share. And I can lay out for you. I won't now because they'll shoot me. But here's the deal. He became confused about what he was actually doing there and not even with the script at his event could kind of carry him through. And he still fails to condemn those in the Democrat Party who support the violence. And 
that fringe base is becoming a bigger and bigger problem for the Democrats in the election. On Friday, then, it was just a total mess. First of all, the teleprompter defeated him. Then he absolved China for the coronavirus. And then he laughed about the Chinese election interference. And at uh, some point, couldn't remember the reporters' names. And so he told a staffer to call on reporters. They then pitched him little softball questions from a pre-written list. You know, I never gave media a pre-written list of questions. I know a lot of the Democrats do. They just don't study the issues. They don't work at it. And Biden is no exception. He's been 47 years in the U.S. Congress, both in the House and the Senate, and he still doesn't know the issues. In contrast, President Trump on Sunday toured Hurricane Laura, the recovery efforts in Orange, Texas and Lake Charles, Louisiana. On Monday, he delivered the remarks about the coronavirus and the potential vaccines that HHS is moving around rapidly toward in the hopefully rounding the turn on the pandemic we're rounding that turn and vaccines are coming along great you know that uh the job that they've done the the doctors everybody else we're years ahead of schedule anybody else as president you wouldn't be talking about vaccines for two or three years from now i'll tell you right now HHS is going to extend coverage for COVID-19 screening tests at congregate facilities. On Tuesday, then, President Trump was in Kenosha speaking about law and order, economic development. Then he was in North Carolina the next day saying, for the sake of all Americans, we've got to uphold the rule of law and defend the American dream for every child in our land. We've got to teach our children that America is the land of heroes. For the sake of all Americans, we must uphold the rule of law and defend the American dream for every child in our land. We must teach our children that America is the land of heroes. That's something that Democrats don't believe anymore. They don't believe in American exceptionalism. Then the next day, Thursday, President Trump traveled to Pennsylvania and he, of course, dealt with and contrasted himself with Joe Biden, who has said he's going to ban fracking, which is going to kill oil and gas in, in America, but especially in New Mexico. Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, in a Biden administration? No, we would, we, would, we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated and no more subsidies for either one of those, either any fossil fuel. But uh, the president talked about some of his accomplishments, that he secured America's borders, that he fixed our broken trade deals. He rebuilt the U.S. military, obliterated the ISIS caliphate, secured American energy independence, and built the single greatest economy in the history of the world. And then he points out that we're now going to do it again because the COVID-19 basically shut that tremendous economy down. That's just through Thursday on Friday. That jobs report came out and is uh, just the proof that everyone needed that the comeback has started. So as we begin Labor Day weekend, America's unprecedented economic recovery continues. You see what's going on. It's been pretty amazing. The United States economy added today, announced this morning, 1.4 million jobs last month bringing the total to over 10.6 million jobs created in just four months. That's a record by far. In August, we added 249,000 retail jobs, 174,000 leisure and hospitality jobs, and 29,000 new manufacturing jobs. The unemployment rate plummeted to 8.4 percent, the second largest single month drop ever recorded, surpassed only by our big decline in June 
Last month, we saw large declines in the unemployment rate for African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, and Asian-Americans, very big declines. We're witnessing the fastest labor market recovery from any economic crisis in history by far. He also worked out on Friday this historic deal between Serbia and Kosovo that took tremendous leadership. And it's something that I watched different presidents try to accomplish these sorts of deals and negotiations when I was in Congress. President Obama couldn't do them. President Bush was certainly not capable of it. And President Trump gets that sort of thing done. So all in all, when you look at Joe Biden and contrast him with President Trump, there is no comparison. All of those things have led to President Trump spiking in the Zogby poll to 52 percent approval rating. During the RNC, we saw that tremendous talent, a lot of black Republicans, a lot of Hispanic, Asians, and all of that talent caused the president to uh, jump in his approval, but it also drove Hispanic voters to him. He pulled another 2% during the RNC convention, but among black voters, he took just a monumental jump from 15 to 24%, so a nine-point gain there among the black voters. I keep telling our voters that we can't take it easy. We can't take anything for granted. The one thing I know about the Democrats is they never let up. They will continue to mislead people. One of the great, great misleadings that occurred in this last week was that Atlantic Monthly article where it basically said that the president said very incendiary things about our veterans. One of our young Republican Hispanic girls here in the state, she's at New Mexico State University, and she made a video of this. But I want to play the audio from that video so that you get a sense that people really just already understand the truth. Listen as this young conservative Hispanic girl from New Mexico works her art here in this segment. Today we come together as one nation to salute the veterans of the United States Armed Forces, the greatest warriors to ever walk the face of the earth. Our veterans risked everything for us, Now it is our duty to serve and protect them every single day of our lives. To each veteran of the war, the glory of your deeds will only grow greater with time. This nation is forever in your debt, and we thank you all. You are the reason our hearts swell with pride, our foes tremble with fear, and our nation thrives in freedom. You are among the very greatest Americans who will ever live. Well, Derek, this is another huge week for news. In our next segment, we've got Rona McDaniel. She's the chair of the Republican National Committee. That's doing a fantastic job, and I think you're going to really enjoy listening to her. So stay tuned for segment two, Inside New Mexico. On behalf of the New Mexico Department of Health, take COVID-19 precautions. Wash your hands frequently for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Use a tissue or your elbow to catch your sneeze or cough. Avoid large gatherings and close contact with sick people, especially if you are elderly or high risk. If you have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath, stay home from work or school. Do not go to the ER or doctor's office without first calling the coronavirus hotline. And avoid all unnecessary out-of-state travel. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico. Last week, Steve Pierce was talking with Ronna McDaniel, the chair of the RNC. We continue with that interview now. 
minority voters across the country are hungry for engagement from the conservative wing of, of politics. They've been very conservative. No one has ever reached out. And so you're doing that very effectively nationally. But then there seems to be just an organic effort. We've had 12 to 15 black conservative voices start speaking here in New Mexico. RPNM is scheduling them on radio, TV, and for the newspaper, we're helping them on op-eds. And so suddenly this voice is here. So when BLM comes in, we let black conservatives speak for the party. It's not me. And so I, I compliment you again nationally. The attorney general in Kentucky has just really skyrocketed. He's somebody that when he presented on national TV that he was very believable. He was so friendly. He came across as, as just someone that you just like just normally. He was talking about very, very hard stuff to talk about, and he did it in such an easy fashion that, that you felt comfortable with it. Tim Scott, of course, has become a superstar. When I returned to Congress the second time, Tim Scott was coming in, and his career is phenomenal. And for him to be that steady conservative voice, when you have Myron Lizer from the Navajo Nation, he speaks to Navajos all across New Mexico. And for him to give that solid endorsement, it's something that I've never seen from Native Americans. They may vote Republican and they may quietly be Republican, but never have I seen one stand up. And so, again, just kudos to you for getting him on the national stage. He was well prepared, very presentable and gives a just a different view to those Native Americans who are out across the country and saying, is there a place for me in the Republican Party? Now, I've seen the press that says that we've had six times more viewer on C-SPAN than the Democrats had. But then I see some of the national outlets talking about that Democrats are getting far more viewers. If you look at the digital channels and the streaming, we actually are outpacing the Democrats. And what people don't recognize is the RNC and the campaign have really worked on our digital and streaming channels with Trump Online and and all these things, now, and there's no interruption on those channels. And we also are doing a little fundraising tool with it. So if you give to the RNC or the Trump campaign, you'll see your name and what you gave scroll across the bottom. And you can only see that on our digital platform. So that's where we're getting a lot of viewership there that probably normally would have gone to the network. But, heck, we're going to fundraise off of this as well and make sure we're raising money for the president. We calculated that we had 10 million more viewers across all the platforms on that first night. I haven't seen the numbers for the second night. I believe that uh, when the Nielsen ratings come out, that it's going to be very strong. I know that some of the networks are trying to leave it off completely. They're coming in and, and they're trying to sell it down. But I will just tell you that uh, the American people are getting enough of an image that Melania spoke directly to women as a woman. She addressed the COVID crisis and her concerns for family. Uh, that resonated very strongly. I've heard that many times. Then we're appealing to minority voters in a way that we've never appealed to. So I think that the Republican Party under your leadership is moving into a dimension that it's needed to move into for 50 years. I don't count that as a small thing. That is a major thing. The people out there, the voters, were wanting to be a part of the conservative movement, but they just didn't feel welcome. They didn't feel like that we as Republicans would welcome them in the door and you have succeeded in not only making them feel welcome, but uh, letting them take center stage nationally, running for important offices, U.S. Senate, for U.S. Congress, 
for positions in the House and, and Senate in our states. And so, again, my compliments to you because I think you're changing the direction of politics for generations to come. It's way overdue, but it took you to get it done. I can't say enough about the leadership that you've offered. Anything else you'd like to address before we go? I just want to just commend you, Steve. You're one of the best party chairs we have in the whole country, and bringing that congressional experience you have and the passion you have for your state, it, it makes a huge difference. So I'm really honored that you've had me on the show. Thanks for all the kind words, and let's just make sure we go win in November. That's the key. Yeah, we have that, to win. That's all we're about out here. I came on back to New Mexico. I, I wanted to go and uh, be at the White House and be at all the events there. But to tell you the truth, I've been gone from New Mexico four days didn't feel like I could spend another three, and so I came back. We have made 1.3 million calls in New Mexico, and we've knocked on uh, 250,000 doors by Election Day. That's going to be a million doors. So we're doing the grunt work, the, the basic nuts and bolts of campaigning. We're registering voters. We're uh, changing people from Democrat to Republican. Our Election Day operations are on track. We've got a little bit of work left to do there. But basically, we're running down the, the final 70 days of this campaign, well-organized and ready to win this state. I believe we're going to turn it red, but it comes with the resources that you all at the RNC have uh, dedicated to us. And so, I, again, thank you for that. But uh, thanks again. We've been talking with Ronald McDaniel, the chairman of the Republican National Committee, and in my view, the best chairman that we've ever had. And so thanks again, Ronald. Good luck to you. Keep up that great convention and give our regards from New Mexico to the president. Will do. Thank you. Thank you for the nice words, Steve. Appreciate it. And if you want to get involved, go to uh, GOP.com or vote.gop and uh, we'll make sure we get you working. So thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Steve Pierce and I will return in just a moment with more Inside New Mexico. National Guard and Reserve members are true leaders, both in the military and in the workplace. They are highly skilled and get the job done every day. Employer support of the Guard and Reserve, ESGR, can help you recruit top-notch service members to your workforce. Hiring Guard and Reserve members is good for your business and good for your community. Visit esgr.mil slash employers to learn more. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico. I'm talking with Steve Pierce, chairman of our Republican Party of New Mexico. Steve, big controversy in how we're going to vote this November 3rd and, of course, early voting. By mail or in person, your thoughts? Well, the uh, Secretary of State has now issued guidelines. Her health secretary has kind of augmented those in declaring that it's just unsafe to vote in person. They're going to implement very rigorous in-person voting guidelines. So I saw something on the Internet this week that really caught my attention. Each week, nearly 265 million customers visit Walmart. That's 37 million a day nationwide. Yeah, I believe it's going to be okay and safe to vote at the polls, but I don't think that our Secretary of State is going to let us. And she knows that President Trump is going to win big on Election Day because Republicans typically vote in person. And so I think that we're being gamed once again by our governor and by the Secretary of State you know, when we're talking about the gaming, the Republican Party has made big issues since day one that our governor was allowing the big businesses, the big box stores to stay open while she was closing the small businesses. 
Now then the word is, is coming out and the analysis is possible. Amazon stock has reached a record high. Walmart stock has reached a record high. Apple stock has reached a record high. Google stock has reached a record high. Meanwhile, small business revenues are 30% down. 22% of small businesses have closed forever. This is one of the greatest wealth transfers in history, and it's happening right now before our eyes, and not anyone in the press is speaking about it. These are the catastrophes. These are the purposeful redirecting of the traffic toward the big box stores. The Democrats get a lot of money from the big box stores, and so they want to reward them by taking 30% of the small business away from the businesses across the country and giving it to the big box stores. It is something that is very distasteful. It's harmful to the future of the country, and yet it's going on right now. You know, we were talking in our first segment about that Atlantic Monthly article that really trashed the president saying he said things about veterans that he did not say. Keep in mind that they tried to sell the idea of the Russian collusion for months. They impeached the president over it, and it was totally false. Well, this is totally false, too. And this is what's going to happen to the president down the track, down the last days of the campaign. And so the president's team this week made comments about the Silicon Valley mafia that is going to limit the Trump campaign's ability to answer these kind of attacks down the stretch. They're going to block all political ads in October. So this is the most important election in the world's history, and the president President's going to be banned from defending himself. This is the extent that the media, that the tech giants, everyone is ganging up on the president, and still he's riding high and staying strong. You know, as we visit back and forth week to week, we have a lot of discussion about the concept of socialism versus the free market. American Enterprise Institute, the AEI, has done some really dramatic work. There's a, an article that dates all the way back to July 13th of 2015. It's an article by Mark Perry, and it talks about the most remarkable achievement in human history and basically no one talks about it. He uh, refers to the chart of the century, which talks about the poverty rate across the entire world. And his point is that there's an 80% reduction in world poverty in the last 36 years from 26.8% of the world's population that lives on $1 a day or less. And that number fell to only 5.4% in 2006. So 1970, it was 26.8% of the world's population, 5.4% in 2006. 36 years, and you get that kind of a reduction in poverty, 97% reduction in East Asia, including Japan and Hong Kong. So this question of which is better, the free market or socialism. Socialism does nothing except make people starve. It equalizes down. It doesn't equalize up. The free market allows people to seek their own level of capability. If you want to work harder, you can make more. And that's what is happening around the world. But this reduction in poverty is, is a combined effort uh, from free trade, globalization, the boom in international entrepreneurship. It's the free enterprise system just exploding American style. That's our gift to the world. And you have the Democrats and the left want to simply tear that down and stop the free market and move into the socialist state. That's what's at stake in this particular election here. 
I'd like to play our audience the audio from a clip the Trump campaign put out with actualities of what Joe Biden has actually said while in the Senate. The moment has come for our nation to deal with systemic racism. What exactly is systemic racism or institutional racism? Individual racism is obvious. Systemic racism, however, is far more subtle. Systemic racism is the 1994 crime bill. Biden's 1994 crime bill helped fuel mass incarceration with financial incentives to keep people behind bars. Biden's record in the Senate actually reflects very racist legislation. Biden has made it a death penalty offense for everything but jaywalk. I like the idea they keep in jail longer. It doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife. Instead of building back better, systemic racism is deeming a community as an unfit unsocialized group of people who cannot be rehabilitated. We don't very well know how to rehabilitate them at that point. That's the sad truth. We have predators on our streets. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. We have no choice but to take them out of society. Systemic racism is when your own running mate calls you out for supporting institutional racism. I was actually very, it was hurtful. To hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. Biden sought and received support from Mississippi Senator James Eastland. He frequently spoke of blacks as, quote, an inferior race. And it was not only that, but... You also worked with them to oppose busing. Uh, do you think that his remarks about segregation as senators and his past policy on busing effectively disqualify him as a candidate? I, I think the voters will decide whether he is qualified um, to run or serve. Some very disturbing comments there for a man who wants to be your president. If you would like to find out more about the Republican Party of New Mexico, you can go to www.gopnm.org. The party also has a Facebook page and a Twitter page. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. The Republican Party of New Mexico is always looking for volunteers to help them with their mission to win New Mexico for President Trump and to turn the roundhouse red. You can call Republican Party headquarters at 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. For Steve Pierce, I'm Derek Underhill. We look forward to meeting with you again next week right here on Inside New Mexico.